Welcome. Uh, it's good to be with all of you and to have all of you with us today. We are in the middle, uh, actually towards the end of our series called Antiques Roadshow. And uh, we've looked at a whole variety of, of different items. And what we're doing as we look at these different items is we're asking ourselves, what is it that surrounds these things? It's not so much that when we spoke about uh, Noah's Ark, we were talking about the actual Ark itself. It's not so much that when we spoke about Israel crossing over the Jordan, we were focusing on, on the stones that they brought out as, as, a, as a remembrance. But what we're looking at is the stories that surround these things. And the stories that, that God is telling in his big picture and his plan, as we get to read the scriptures from hundreds, even thousands of years ago. And so it's, it's pretty exciting to know that these things actually happened, these events took place. And so we're asking ourselves, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about my relationship with, with God as we look at the stories that are told and the things that surround these, these antiques? Um, and so today, we're going to look at, at an antique that is, is one that is from a story that you've, you've probably heard before. A lot of these stories you've been looking at are, are quite famous and are quite well known. So you've almost definitely heard this story before. But this one is, a, is the Scarlet Cord. And this isn't the actual one, I know. But even if it was, um, out of the story that we're going to look at, look at today, I doubt it would get very much money at auction. I, 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 don't, I don't know how these antiques work. But maybe if you could, I felt like Wayne for a second there. I was going to like turn it into three. Wayne, what do you think? I don't know. Wayne the Magician. Um, but even if you were to go into auction with the original Scarlet Thread from the, letter that, from the, the, the story you're going to look at today, I don't know what kind of value you would find. This one in particular, mom, how much did this cost? Three rand and 45 cents. That's what this is worth. But the story and the actual Scarlet Thread that was tied in the window of Rahab's house and what, that's, that, that's significant, uh, what that is significant for, for us is, is huge. There is no price tag that we could put on the value of that scarlet cord on that day. And so we're going to get into the story and you'll be able to see exactly what I'm talking about and where we're going with the, with the story today. But as we get into uh, the scriptures and we're going to open our Bibles in just a bit, I want us to be thinking about this, this, one, this one statement. It's something that I think we believe to be true, at least to a certain extent. It's something that we would probably say is true of ourselves and of, of other Christians, but it is, is this statement, that God wants to use you, and God wants to use me. And you might say, Dan, it's not that profound, that's not that, you know, I don't even need to write that one down, because I kind of I knew that already. But think about this for a second. God wants to use you, and God is perhaps even waiting to use you in ways that you have no idea what the outcome is going to actually be like. And he's wanting to use you and me in spite of our inadequacies and our shortcomings, our fears and our failures, and, and even in spite of what our own ideas might be. The God of the universe, in the story that he's telling, the picture that he's painting over time, he's chosen for some reason to use people like you and me, in spite of our inadequacies, our fears and our doubts and our shortcomings, and even our own ideas. God has decided to use people that make mistakes and that are sinful people that do wrong all the time, yet he extends his grace into our lives and says, I, I want to I use you if you would just make yourself available to me. So that's what I want us to be thinking about in the front of our minds as we get into the scripture today. But as I was thinking about this and as I was praying about this message today, 
I was just continually surrounded by the stories that are going on in all of, all of your lives. And this is what I know to be true about all of us in the room today is this, that there are times, and for some of you, as I'm thinking now, it's even today, there are times in our lives where we just feel beaten up by the world. We just feel like it's world one, me zero, Christian faith zero, I'm, I'm struggling through this. And sometimes it's not even our own personal struggles. Sometimes it's outside things that come against us. And I know from the stories that are happening from the people in this room and, and things that we know that are going on, that there is just times when as a church we need to come around each other and just support each other, to love each other, to lock arms, and then to live like Christ. And, and so my hope is that as we look at this message today, even in spite of the, the times that we are hard-pressed, Kind of like Paul writes when, when he says this. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And we would go, sometimes that's me. For some of us, it's even right now today. And so that's what I want to say to you today. Whether that is the place you find yourself in, or whether you're in a really good season of, of life right now. God wants to use you in, in whatever way he would choose fit. And he has a plan for you. If you would just decide to surrender and do what it is that we're going to read about in our story today. So why don't you grab your Bibles and we're going to go to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And we'll put the verses up on the screen, but again, just follow along in your Bibles if you, if you have them. I think that would be a good idea. Once we're there, why don't we just close our eyes and let's just pray one more time. Father, we are so grateful for today. God, thank you for the time of worship where we got to just sing these songs of praise to you. God, we, we thank you for, for music and the ability that it has just to lift our souls. And Father, yet there are things that we sing about that are serious in these songs. We say things like, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But his love abideth ever through eternally is the same. So, Father, I just pray that today, in whatever stage of life myself and my friends are here, whatever the circumstances are that are surrounding us right now, that, God, we would understand that you have a plan for us and that you want to use us in spite of sometimes our own fears and our doubts, even our own plans and our inadequacies, that, God, you have decided to work through people like us. Even though sometimes we may think we're not worthy or we think we just we can't take that step of faith, God, today, I pray that you would encourage us and that you would lift us up through your Holy Spirit in the Word as we read. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking in Joshua chapter 2. And uh, before we read the scripture we're going to read today, I just want to give you some kind of background to where we are. The nation of Israel finds themselves on the banks of the Jordan River. And now you might cast your mind back a couple of weeks to where my dad spoke about the, the time when they crossed over the Jordan. That, that's where they are right now. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan, and they are waiting for God to bring them into their promised land. God had promised to their forefather Abraham 440 years ago that they would have this land, and they had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the time that they would get to inherit the land. And they're finally at the banks of, of the Jordan River, and they can see Canaan on the other side, and they're ready to go. And so what Joshua does as a military man and as a fighting man, and with his experience and the things that he's done, he's decided to send spies into the land 
And so he takes two guys and he says, I want you to go in and I want you to spy out this land before we go and, and do whatever God wants us to do in conquering the land. And so these two spies go into the land, reconnaissance mission. They're going to find what it is that Joshua has asked for. So obviously he's looking, these guys are looking at the, the armies and they're looking at the setups and, and the different things that they have. And they go throughout the land, but after a while their cover is blown. And so they have to seek refuge in the house of, of Rahab. Now Rahab was, was a prostitute. And in fact, it's almost her title. She had become known as Rahab the prostitute. That is who she was. That is what she did. And she lived in the walls of the city of Jericho. And so they had found, they had found refuge in, in this house. And so here is where our story picks up in, in chapter 2, verse 2. This is what it says. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you, um, yeah, to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the women had taken uh, the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly and you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. So whether you've heard the story or not, when you hear of this, this woman, Rahab the prostitute, and you hear of these men finding refuge in her house, what do you think about when you, you think about this person, Rahab? Because for some reason, for me, I don't know if it's my Sunday school filter. I don't know if it's because when I picture the story, I picture the flannel graph and Rahab, she looks very nice and she doesn't look like a prostitute. And I guess as a five-year-old, you just, it's just, maybe that's a name. Like you get teachers and then you get like accountants and then you get prostitutes. As a kid, maybe you just don't know what that actually is. And then as you grow up, you're like, ah, okay, I now I know what a prostitute is. But still in my mind, I'm thinking, she was actually, she must have been a very nice lady because everyone else is like running after the spies. But for some reason, she decided to, to hide them. What, what a fantastic lady. Jericho was the kind of place where they would sacrifice children, the kind of place where God was so far from their minds. In fact, they had their own gods that they would worship. They were a violent, sinful people. Rahab lived in this place, and she even was considered to be the lowest of the low of her own people. She was a prostitute. There was, there was nothing extremely special about who she was. She hadn't gone to ladies Bible study the, the Wednesday before or a few years before and changed her life. And now she was the one lady who was different to the rest of the, of the land. She was who she was, as you probably would imagine her to be. That's, that's who she was. And so these men go and find refuge in her house. And they're hiding out there. And for some reason, she decides to make sure that they don't get found. But something did separate Rahab from the rest of the people. And it wasn't her lifestyle. It wasn't the choices that she had made up to this point. It was right at the time that the spies needed a place to hide. And she realized what she knew to be true about their God. Something was about to happen. And so in that moment, something different did take place in the life of Rahab compared to the rest of these people. While these people were continuously thinking about their own greed and their own need for themselves and what they were doing, Rahab, for some reason, in that moment, made a decision 
that was far more extreme even than the lifestyle that these people were living. This is what it says in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and and what you did to um, Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And so what Rahab does is so extreme. She admits to these people, she admits to them, I believe that your God is real. And I have heard of the stories of what he did in letting you come through the Red Sea out of Egypt and destroying these Amorite kings. I believe that your God is the God of heaven above and of earth below. That's what I believe to be true about your God. And you would all of a sudden realize that was the one thing. That was the only thing that set her apart from the rest of her land. She was willing to admit it and then do something about it. Because what you read here is this, that she says, we, we know this to be true. She's saying everyone in this country, not just me, everyone in this country believes this to be true. They believe that your God is the God. We have seen him do these things. We've heard the stories. And so we believe that this is true. But what set her apart was she was actually about to do something in accordance with what she, with what she believed. So she says to them, will you, will you protect me? Will you look after me? If, if I give you refuge in my house and I protect you and I make sure nothing happens to you, will you make sure that when your God acts and decides to come and take out my city that I'm living in right now, that you would protect me? Is that something we can do? And so the spies say, your life, your life for our life. This is, this is something we can do. So in verse 17, it says this. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house. So they tell her to take the cord and to tie it into into the window. And the spies go back to Joshua and they they say that people are are melting in fear on account of us. Everyone in that land, they're, they're terrified. And so I have this cord here. If I was Rahab and I knew that God was about to come destroy the land, I'd have like the biggest piece of cord I could possibly find. I'd have a cord and a scarlet flag and a scarlet, like, I would have all kinds of things. And I'd be like, that's my, I'd have arrows pointing up there. I'd be drawing with paint on the city walls. This is my house. This is where I am. So the, so the spies would know where she lived because she believed that God was coming. She believed that when they, she looked out a window and she saw in the distance the Israel, Israelite camp, she knew something was coming, as did the rest of Jericho. But she was willing to do something about it. And she was willing to risk her life to, to hide these men in the hope that they would actually come through. And she was placing her faith for the first time in something completely different, not in her own ability, not within her own king and country, but in her understanding, limited understanding of this powerful God who had done amazing things, who was probably going to wipe them all out. 
And so God makes a way for the Israelites to get their land back. He gets his people ready. And so, again, if you cast your minds back a few weeks, um, the Israelites are standing on the Jordan and they need a way to get through. So the Ark of the Covenant is brought out and the priests are holding it. And as they get down to the Jordan, all of a sudden, God says, as soon as your feet touch the Jordan, it'll stop way upstream and you'll be able to pass through on, on dry land. And so that's exactly what's ha- what, what, what happens. They get to the Jordan, it stops, and millions of people are able to cross over on dry land. And now they're, they're ready. They're, they're ready to, to kind of take over their, their land. You guys remember what the whole plan was? It was you to march around the city six times. And on the, on the, um, sorry, you march around the city for, for six days. And on the seventh day, you march around seven times and then blow your horn. And when you do that, the walls are going to come down. And that was, that was the plan. We've heard, that we've heard about Joshua fighting in the battle of Jericho. And in Sunday school, I remember hearing the story and thinking, this is a pretty cool story. God is fighting for Joshua and God is fighting for his people. What an amazing picture of who God is. But when you really read what's going on there, what we're going to read in a second, you begin to, to think, I understand why people who do not believe in God struggle with the idea of God sometimes. Because what God says to them is you're to go into the land and you are to kill everything and everyone. You're to slaughter them. So try to take that Sunday school kind of grid of thinking of, you know, so the walls fell down and then the people went and then got what they wanted and Rahab was saved. And understand this, that God is saying you go in and you fight. Take your fighting men and you go into battle. So imagine the sights and the sounds and the smells, and the things that are going on as a city is burning. And this is God. This is God's plan. This is God's decision to go in and wipe out an entire country kind of starting at Jericho. And you think, how is that something that is a good idea for a God who's supposedly so good and so loving? But you have to understand something of the backstory. Because once upon a time, God came to a man called Abraham, and he said, I'm going to give you a land. And it's going to be a great land. And you and your descendants are going to fill this land. And it was theirs and they had the right to it. And God had finally brought them through a series of events over hundreds of years to the banks of the Jordan. And that was the land that was rightfully theirs. And people were living in it illegally. Not only that, but they knew. They knew who God was. And they knew what he potentially could do. And the warning was there and they had time. To get out. No doubt that if someone had come into the house of Rahab when the battle took place, they would have been saved. They had seven days to, to get up and, and run and, and flee. They had the chance to surrender. So not only is that true, but then you begin to understand something about the holiness of God and how God says, because I'm perfect and because I'm holy and because I cannot be defiled by sin, the land that you're going to live in needs to be cleansed and needs to be wiped clean. You guys have a choice. You know I'm coming. You can get out. And so the holy God moves into this land where there are sinful people living who, though they know him, do not leave and illegally occupy what belongs to God. And so when you think about that, you suddenly realize what chance did Rahab have? The lowest of the lows in a city who defied God what, what kind of chance did Rahab have in, in this whole big picture? You know, if, if anyone deserved to be taken out, it was Rahab. And then you begin to think, so why then did the spies even get sent into the land? We were talking about this this week. 
Why on earth would the spies have been sent into the land in the first place? What was the point? What was the point of them going in? Because God was going to bring down the walls. God was going to go before them in the battle. I think the only reason the spies went into the land was so they would run into a woman who was considered to be the lowest of the lows in a society that was considered to be the lowest of low societies. And they'd run into her just so that God could make an incredible point, so that God could work in her life, so that God could use her in spite of her incredible inadequacies, in spite of her fears and in spite of her doubts and in spite of her, her shortfalls and even her own plans and ideas. God had a plan for Rahab, the prostitute. And so this is what we, this is what we read. We're going to jump to chapter 6, verse 20. It says this, When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the, shout, at the sound of the trumpet, when the, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with sword every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And so Rahab is remembered by Joshua and the spies and by God. And, and you can just imagine in the heat of battle as the walls are falling down and obviously her section was somehow preserved and the spies got to go in and they would have seen the cord and remembered that's, that's where it was. So they go and they, they get her and her mother and her, her, her father and all who belong to her family and, and bring them out and place them outside of the camp of Israel. And all of a sudden, this, this scarlet cord that, that she ties up in the window becomes a symbol of, of her extreme faith in a time where, where she didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Imagine as she's sitting up there and she's, she's tying this thing. I, I don't know. It maybe it was on like the first day that the Israelites started marching around and she's like tying it up there and like, seriously guys, remember, cord, me, it's here. But as she's doing that, is she, is she doubting? Is she doubting if the spies will remember her? If they're just going to completely forget her? If God is going to come through? If in the midst of battle, they're even going to survive? Maybe she's even thinking, well, what if we even do survive and we get into Israel? Are we going to be slaves? What is this going to be like for us? What, what is the, the outcome for me and my family? Even if, the, even if Israel does come through and they do save us, what hope do we really have? Can you imagine what's going through her mind as she's, she's putting this up there? What ideas does she have as she puts it up? And so this is what we read in verse 24. Then they burn the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And listen to this. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. And I think sometimes we jump over that last bit and we don't understand really what that means. But as the, the words of, of the book of Joshua were being recorded, looked around and the author would have been able to say, that's, that's Rahab's family. They live among Israel, even to this day. So think about this for a second. All that was required for Rahab 
to be able to start taking a step towards doing what God wants her to do, it was for her to give up. It was for her to surrender. And so while this would have maybe just been a, a simple kind of, you know, reminder of this is where I live, guys, and yeah, so it's a symbol of my faith, maybe to us it would look more like some kind of white flag that would wave and say, look, I surrender, and I give up. And what did the spies say to her? Did they say, listen, you need to go and repent of your sin. You need to go and find a church in Jericho. There probably isn't one to start a church. You need to go and start listening to DVDs and read your Bible. Turn your life around. Sort your life out. Become the kind of Christian that God would use. No. All they said was, tie the cord in the window, and we're going to come and get you. And so she did. And so she lived among the Israelites even to the day that the book was written. And she was accepted into the family. And what did she have to do? She had to give up. She had to surrender what was, what was hers. So God would decide to work in her life and work through her to tell us the story today. But you might still be going, how does that then prove to me that God wants to use me in spite of my fears and my doubts, my inadequacies, and even my own ideas and plans? Because the story of Rahab doesn't end there. The story of Rahab continues. You see, what happened was she eventually found a husband named Solomon, and they got married. You think, wow, that's just the greatest story of God's grace and love and mercy and, and taking this prostitute who was living in this terrible place and bringing her to the place where she actually was able to find someone to love and to get married to. So, yeah, that is pretty cool, but the story doesn't even end there. They then had a son. Well, that's pretty cool. And his name was Boaz. And some of you are going, like, Boaz is in, like, the book of Ruth Boaz, that Boaz. And if you read in the book of, of Ruth, you read of a man called Boaz, who took in a lady, much like his own mother, who had no place in Israel's history, had no place within the family, and yet he extended his hand of grace, compassion, and love, and kindness, and said, I, I, I'm going to marry you. And so Boaz marries Ruth, and we go, wow, they had grandkids, like, or they, they had kids, that, that's pretty cool, that's, that's an awesome story, right? But this is what happened. Boaz and Ruth had a son, and his name was Obed. Obed and his wife had a son, and his name was Jesse. Jesse and his son, Jesse and his wife had a son, and his name was David, King David. And if you understand anything about who David is and what he did and who he was, you would understand that eventually there would come someone far greater than Joshua, far greater than anyone who fought in that battle. This is what it says in the book of Matthew. It's not up on the screen. I want you to go there. Go to the book of Matthew, and I want you to read this for yourselves because this is just, this is quite incredible. Book of Matthew in chapter 1. Book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the story of a man named Jesus. And the book of Matthew starts with something that we call a genealogy. And what that is, it, is, it records for us accurately the line of, of, of the family. And it starts at Abraham, and it goes all the, way, all the way down. And if you read in verse 17, it says this. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, And 14 from the exile to Christ. 
if you understand this, and if you read, I think it's in verse 4 or 5, you see this man's name, Boaz, pop up. And he was the son of Salmon and, and Rahab. And you read this in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be a child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of, what does it say? Son of? Joseph, son of David. David was not his dad's name, by the way. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So why did Joshua send men, spies into the city? Why, why would he do that? Did they need to help God out in bringing the walls down? No. There was, there was a lady in there who, who God had a plan for her life and he was about to make a very powerful point that he is able to use people and he wants to use people in spite of the inadequacies, their fears, their doubts, and even their own plans. And he said to her, this is what you need to do. You need to have faith that I'm going to come through. But that starts by you surrendering and letting me do what I'm going to do. And so Rahab, who was known as Rahab the prostitute in the worst of the worst cities, becomes known as Rahab, the mother of, of kings, the one through whom the lion would follow. And so the scarlet cord, though, really, it, it would have been destroyed in the battle of, of Jericho, and we, we wouldn't have, have ever found this thing. Really, I guess what, what this symbolizes then is, for us, the bloodline that flowed all the way from Rahab and all the way down through generation after generation to generation to eventually lead us to who we're going to celebrate on Friday night and on Sunday and for every Sunday and every day for the rest of our lives, a man named Jesus. Why would God choose to work in someone's life like Rahab? Because he can and because he does and because he wants to use you and me if we will just surrender. So you think about this. It comes all the way down to, to Christ. And this man Jesus walks on the earth and he understands it's his, it's his mission to one day to go to the cross, as we just read, to die for the sins of the people, for your sins and for mine. And in that moment, in that day that he was, knew he was going to the cross, what did he say? He said to God, God, if, Father, if you could take this away from me, would you? But not my will be done, yours. In other words, Jesus was saying, I now am going to surrender my own needs and my own wants and what I want to do for, for you and for your glory and for the plan and for the purpose of your, your people. And it was God's delight to crush him for us. And he gave up everything. He surrendered everything. So when we look at the story of Jesus and we look at the story of Rahab, this is what we understand about them. They surrendered their own ideas and their own plans and everything that they had going on so that they could be used. And it was based simply on an understanding of who God was. 
a loving and a gracious and a compassionate God who has a plan for each and every single one of us if we would just choose to do the same. And it's hard because sometimes when we realize, you know, we, we may even confess with our lips, we may even say this, God, would you take control of, of how I handle my business and how I handle my finances? God, will you take control of how I manage my family at home? Would you make me a godly husband and a wife? And Or would you just help me to be the kind of kid that can just put up with my parents sometimes and help me to be the kind of person that shows the love of Christ in my school and in my workplace? And so we may even say things like this, but it's so easy for us to say it. It was so easy for Rahab to admit to the spies, yes, we are all melting in fear because of you and your God. But it was just one. It was just her who said, but I'm the one who has chosen to align myself with your God. And so I'm going to surrender. And I don't know what's going to come, what's going to come and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to give it up. And so the question for us today is this. Are we simply the kind of people who just talk about having faith? Are we the kind of people who say, I believe God should, should work in my life and, and work in my church and be a part of what goes on? Or are we the kind of people who would tie a scarlet cord in our window, who would wave a white flag and go, listen, I'm going to surrender God to what your plans and what your ideas are, and then sit back and wait for him to do even the impossible in our lives? Do you think anybody that lived with Rahab before the day the day before the walls came down, would ever consider her to be the one through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world would come. Not a chance. So why did God do it? Because God is proving a point that he's going to use you and me in spite of the, the stuff that's going on in our lives right now and the hardships, in spite of our failures and our sin and our doubts. We just got to step out and say, God, I surrender. Would you, would you take my doubts and would you take my fear, my inadequacies, and would you turn it into something incredible? I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the message of, of Rahab, who, in, in an incredible, almost unbelievable turn of events, her life has completely changed around so that God, you would be made to look good and gracious and kind and compassionate and Father, that, that story for us means that we get the hope that in spite of our, our fears and our doubts, even for some of us here today who go, I don't even understand everything about who God is and who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian, that God, all you say is, would you just surrender and would you just give up your, your own plans and your man-made ideas and why, why don't you listen to what I have to say for a change? So God, whether it be in the smallest details in life, whether it be the overarching theme of everything that we do, that God, the antique of the scarlet cord would be a reminder to us of what it means to surrender to you, to allow you to work in us. God, we believe that you have a plan for us and that you want to use us in spite of all of our own shortcomings and fears and mistakes in our past. So God, I pray that you would choose to work in us and through us for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.